0: Do you think that unconscious bias is fueling the differences in security?
1: On Capitol Hill to work out a... Get it, there is a darkness inside of me. It wants to get out, wants to walk around. It wants some walking around money and it wants to buy some shoes and it wants to, it wants to walk up with the people and say, hey, Gator don't play no shit. You hear, you feel me? Gator never been about that. Never, never been about playing no shit. Little Will Ferrell. This is episode 8 of punktheology.net. This is where I remind you to uh, check out the patron page, the Patreon page, become a patron sinner saint. It's a way listeners like yourself can rebel against the tyranny of promo codes. (laughs) And, you know, some of the podcasts you enjoy being having to endure those ads. You don't have to do that here. Thanks to listeners carrying the Punk Theology message, punktheology.net.com.org, whatever. We don't talk about current events, if really at all. Our motivation is to make this content timeless, crunchy, thought snacks. And yeah, the events of the last week or two, hard to ignore. It highlights something deeper, is it? conscious social bias? Are we a tribal powder keg in the United States? Let's get underneath some of that, shall we? This. This is the Punk Theology Podcast. And you're listening to season four. January, deadline, January 21.
2: Hey, hey, cool thing about January, there's a real possibility we will have three presidents.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <really? laughs> yeah it's cool.
0: Stretch me out, shut up.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, bye. I do think, think about,
2: about it. it. We might have three presidents in three days. That would be
1: cool. <laughs> so Trump doesn't want to, you know, Stein, and then biden gets shot and, and he be, he's president but he gets and shot. we get a four presidents we have right we could okay. have four okay okay
0: okay okay, right? <laughs> we're, we're done <laughs> moving on okay continue
1: <laughs> anyway no you had a great it's something that you said earlier that so this is part of the vulnerability of something that you brought up and we talk talked about in this show a lot being vulnerable right like like me around you guys and not worry about how that affects you or, or anyone else. Like you're not going to shit on me for, or judge me or come down on me. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. It's a, it's the opposite. So my wife and I are dealing with a lot of codependence because, and we both have it. Mm -hmm. And I think the group that we have is the most opposite of codependence I've ever experienced where it's just the assumption that each person's responsible for their own emotions
3: mm-hmm.
2: and, and what I, and I'm not liable for the emotions that I cause you to feel. Mm. Um, and I'm also not trying to aggravate your emotions in order to establish dominance. I'm like, emotions may get aggravated, but it's a genuine attempt at vulnerability and, ex- and embracing each other. Yeah. Um, uh, which is again which is the opposite of a codependent relationship
1: mm. um, it's true I caught myself being a little like you know Kristen being in the group like like it's kind of changed the dynamic a little bit which it, which is great and I like it like I'm excited about you being in the group. <laughs> Chuck's Chuck had a, a comment about uh you know Kristen whatever you want to bring up as a topic like like I'm into I I'm open to and stuff and and then I shot back and I said me too <laughs> like like hashtag me too you know like I caught myself after I said it like would that come off as a joke or like I don't like I'm not trying to be a dick but oh, I, the rest but I, I didn't even
0: know. Russ. I, Russ. I know, but no. I did. Isn't
1: that weird? No, I, I didn't think
0: I'm even sensitive.
1: That. To, it's not that I'm sensitive to you being in the group, but I'm sensitive to. Oh,
0: you totally are. It's okay. No, it's okay. Hey, Actually, hey, that's hey, really normal.
1: I don't know. But I'm it's, trying to. Like, I'm trying no, to but you said up.
0: it. It shifts the dynamics completely because when you throw a woman into a group of guys, it, it automatically shifts everything. And And regardless of whether or not we want that to be true, it just is true. And so it's like, it's something that I'm noticing because I, I'm experiencing, cause especially last week, I was feeling my own excitement and anticipation, but then also everybody else's too. I felt their excitement and something new and something different. But then I also felt the uncertainty and the nerves. And it's just, it's whenever you bring men and women together, especially in a very private, intimate male setting, it's usually just for men. It just is disruptive. Right. And we don't want that. It's
1: like, we don't want it to be. No,
0: (laughs) no, but, but that's, but I think that's why this especially feels so great is because you guys are all recognizing that there's disruption and you're choosing it too. you collectively and individually decided that that was something that you were going to take on, which is, I mean, that's, that's a pretty brave thing to do Yeah. because you, you know me through Derek, you've met me once face to face and then, you know, just it's, it's this progressive thing, but you still don't exactly know entirely who I am or how I'm gonna change the group dynamics. And so,
3: right.
0: so it, just, it just is one of those things. And so I think that that's, I actually, I think it's totally normal. I think it's completely appropriate. And I think that people are allowed to be both excited and uncomfortable. And what I'm kind of excited to hear a little bit more about is how everybody does feel in in the future like I want to know about Chuck and Steve and and where they're excited bringing me on but they're we're also where they're uncomfortable because it's not exactly so much about me as it is just because even if you brought in a brand new person who was a man Mm -hmm. after everything you guys have been through together collectively to bring in a stranger even if it's a man is still going to be disruptive and so but the fact that I'm a woman is just that much more wonky but but also, I don't see
1: you as a stranger. I mean, it was great when you were on and when I, when I met you and we all met
3: and yeah.
1: were on the show like that. You fit right in. Like I thought that the way you fit into that the group in that episode, really? Was really, it was a really good episode. You were like,
0: that's nice to hear.
1: You were like one of the guys, not not a guy, of course, but
0: no, I mean, <laughs> you playing, actually, right?
1: like you fit into the conversation. Yeah. It wasn't you didn't make it weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think if somebody else kind of came in, and it would have been kind of. We didn't do a Matt, like Matt. Yeah, Matt made it weird. <laughs> that guy. Like, we didn't even air that episode.
0: Was, Who is
2: Matt?
1: Okay, was Matt? Yeah, I didn't hear.
2: We, that was the one episode we never aired.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> so it was really.
1: Bad. Maybe we'll put it on the Patreon. Yeah. Pay, Patreon oh, page. No.
0: People to pay It was. It was. Uh, it was rough. The- <laughs> It was what?
1: It was pretty rough. It was rough. It was.
0: Did um, he just have a hard time talking? No. <laughs> oh,
1: no, oh, nope, that wasn't it.
0: Oh, no. He did God. a lot of talking. Uh, okay, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have it somewhere? Russ, I'm sure, has it.
1: Oh, yeah, I have a copy of it. Because
0: oh. I want to hear it. Uh, I don't care if anybody else hears it, but because I'm a co-producer, I get to like snap, snap you, my finger and sure. send it over us.
1: That's right. See that? We'll have to put it on as a, as a thing. We should put it on Patreon. Uh, well, co producer. You can hear it. <laughs> you can hear. <laughs> Actually, One that's, that's
3: so no, that is true.
1: It,
0: <laughs> it is true. so
1: bad. <laughs> so we you should. Once.
0: That, yeah. But you got to do it for like 20 bucks.
3: <laughs> yeah you have to go
0: get- no, you do like it's got to be up there so 20 bucks a month then, then you can hear this but people just do it one time and then but it reminds me that's it- fine
1: because it- we have so much demand in our patreon it reminds me of, the, of yes. the tribal so speaking of tribal powder keg like i studied two seasons seasons semesters of social psychology and i listened to it on itunes U while i was driving it's not the same i know like, I didn't do the fucking tests or read the fucking books.
0: I was laughing at that, sorry. But I was <laughs>
1: fascinated by, like, I'm fascinated by social psychology. And when I heard, it was actually a news person that brought up this term, tribal powder cake. And I was thinking about the shop that I work in. And the guys were talking about, one of the guys that has been there for like a year and a half or something like that, said that there was a, a woman that worked in the shop for a while. And and that's when I started <laughs> thinking about that, too, is, is it became like her... Her joining the mechanics, because it's a surfacey kind of thing, right? And especially if she's better than some of the guys, like, (laughs) just the the weird dynamic that that brought to the thing um, reminded me uh, some of of just how culturally kind of disconnected we are. Is that an American thing? Like, I don't know.
2: Mm -hmm. It is not. <laughs> no,
1: there's no progress. Like, in the like scenario, people, yeah. like genuinely,
2: people from under other countries are impressed that America can manage to be as diverse as it is. Mm. Like, no, like, no, that is like, there's really not many other places genuinely that are as diverse as America, and like, places that actually give a shit, like America, of like, like, look, half the people are actually trying to make this work. Mm. Like, most of the time that. Doesn't happen,
1: right? Um, the people that don't give a shit that make the news, right? What? <laughs> the people that are trying to throw a monkey wrench into things that make the news.
2: Yeah, the extremists.
1: Yeah. Uh, Kristen brought up an interesting question on the thread. We have a private thread that we share. Uh, what's the worst thing that happened to you this week? What's
2: the worst thing that happened to me this week?
1: It's been a rough week.
2: Yeah. It has been a rough week. How do you find the week? Since Sunday, or a week from? Just, sure. I don't. What's know. easier?
1: Throw it out there.
2: Uh, Recent events. A, there is a project at work, um, and and uh, it didn't go in quite as well as I wanted it to, and I'm wrestling with how to correct. The people that didn't put it in as well as i would have wanted to uh it's that whole uh being friends with the people that you work with thing mm. and then something comes up that like ugh, like that wasn't like how do i tell my friend that uh that's in that something didn't go quite as well as i had hoped and you know it's it's a little bit awkward so it wasn't Chuck, by the way. Chuck works with me now, which is cool.
3: No, but, yeah.
2: um, but yeah. So and, I, and then and then the fallout from that's just been brutal. And there's a homeowner. Uh, there was a homeowner who was not interested in being part of the process before the project started, despite many emails and many phone calls trying to get him involved in the process. And then after the project was completed, he's done nothing but bitch about it.
3: Mm.
2: So trying to deal with that guy has been frustrating. Yeah, it would be. And most of it, and he's extremely uneducated about any of the reasons that we did it and how the system works. And he doesn't display any interest in educating himself. Uh, And he's brought up concern after concern after concern, and all of them have been wrong. And then recently, he brought up a concern, and that one happened to be right, and we had to go out and fix it. So then we look like assholes. And yeah, so my project manager was complaining about like we don't get the he gets to eat crow moment, which really sucks because we were all kind of looking forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been wrestling with that and just like it's hard to have faith in humanity right now. Like it's Mm -hmm. really hard to have any faith in humanity. Mm -hmm. It feels like it feels like I've been, you know, thinking a lot about the, <laughs> the Bible and how much Jesus called people sheep and children. And it's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's why yeah. this is why he called oh them God. Sheep damn bible i know it's like oh shit there is some truth in there yeah. it's actually some really solid wisdom and it's like oh, i never thought about it like that it's just
2: like sipping his tea calling him sheep <laughs> like, like oh yeah you guys are
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's
1: true man <laughs>
0: Jason and I have been having that conversation a lot just about, at least I keep bringing up just how true the gospels are from just a very pragmatic first person point of view. That's it. It's just a, it's really interesting. There's a lot of wisdom. It's super smart, but as soon as you take it out of that perspective and make it a third person point of view, it just goes crazy. Yeah, it's supposed to
2: be a, it's supposed to be a tight intimate story yeah <laughs> a man i one man and 12 other men like that's what it's yeah supposed to be yeah and yeah. and mostly between four people and uh
0: and it blew the fuck up and
2: i mean jesus was a genius in that he mm-hmm. one understood individuals better than than Which maybe anybody been, since.
0: Would have been so unusual, especially just for his culture and his right. time yeah. and in his uh, profession. The fact that he was a carpenter, I mean, he was just really observant, was, uh, like he you was said, human intuitive. behavior. Like, And he like could just almost, connect with anybody.
2: Like almost a Mr. Rogers intuitive. Like, yes! your phrase, definitely your phrase Mr. Rogers. God, Mr. Rogers. Like, Mr. Rogers was a genius of empathy. Uh-huh. Where he could, like, he could walk into a room and tell you what every single person in the room was feeling and why they were feeling.
1: It. Yeah. Uh, and and close to them and, and, and draw them into that. To- right. Yes. And not just tell you what,
2: not just intellectually tell you, but like actually have true empathy for all the feelings that everybody in the room is feeling mm-hmm. and, and be able to do the math in his head of like, this is what this person needs. This is what this person needs. This is what these two people need when they come together. Uh, and then, so Jesus was not only a genius at individual, understanding individuals, but he was also a genius at understanding individuals in a herd. Like he was a genius at both of those things. Not only did he get individual people, not only mm-hmm. could he look someone in the eyes and know their whole story, but he could, but he could also walk into a group of people and go and do all the math of like, oh, and, and then come up with a brilliant analogy of why they're all sheep and children <laughs> without offending anybody in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Just the very <various> same. Yeah, <laughs> that is incredible. But, when you look at the, goggles, it. How do the it must have been amazing it must have been and again they are supposed to have moments of like who the fuck are you yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> like yeah how do all the people that want to run the systems and institutions like how do they miss the fact that they're the fucking villain of the story right well, like starting a new religion maybe that's what they're doing right Well, it's the Jews that are the bad guys it's like no it's religion and systems and fucking institutions and hierarchies of it's just power yeah like that wow. was the enemy that he kept pointing at you know the pharisees and scribes and then we kind of go oh pharisees and scribes like they're the bad guys <laughs> we don't see that or most religious people people that run churches it's just don't see that like that's you motherfucker you know it's
2: been i've been in a really odd headspace recently with trump because mark driscoll did a very good job of preparing me for this moment because this happened what's happening to trump supporters right now happened to me back in 2013 yeah where i was in it and i kept doubling down and doubling Mm -hmm. down and doubling down and then i had to sit in a church service and have the pastor in front of me tell me this man's probably a sociopath yeah like like we like he's Like, and I can point to things in my life that turned out beautifully because of this man's guidance still like, like there's just lots of legacy stuff and, uh, that, that exists in my life. That's really beautiful and really wonderful that Mm -hmm. wouldn't have existed if I hadn't been in that church and hadn't been doing what this man had told me to. And yet at the same time, the guy was incredibly sick. Mm -hmm. Like, and in retrospect, and, and I was talking to Misha, like, it took me five years to process that. Like, I just, mostly, I just instantly dove into a really deep depression for, like, two and a half, three years of, like, like, I just don't want to think about anything serious. Um,
0: I'm just well, gonna... I remember that. I remember when that yeah. happened.
2: And then started to come in. And it took me four or five years before I got to the point where I was ready to really examine, like, no, he was a bad person. Mm-hmm. He was not, he was saying some sick shit, like, yeah, and, and. The Trump supporters are going to have, honestly, a, a harder version of that, um, and and I really feel for them because I, because I've been there. Like it sucks.
0: Well, it's the yeah. moment you realize you're in a cult.
2: I know it's all. Yeah. And that was like I used to tell people I go to Mars Hill. It's not yeah. a cult. It sounds like a cult. And I that's
0: what as, yeah. that's what I'm all cult here. members say. Is yep. that exact phrase? Yep. No, I'm not kidding. That is the exact phrase that all cult members say, yep. and it's yep. it's because within the cult they joke about it being a cult, yep. and and it's it becomes full circle, and that's what that's what gets you in it. That's what keeps you in it.
2: And uh, yeah, and it's and admitting to yourself that you were in a cult is so hard. <laughs> it's so, because you have to admit, like, I got absolutely tricked. Yeah. Like, like a sucker. Yeah. Like a newborn baby. Like I got absolutely hoodwinked. And that is really hard to get your head around.
1: That's what Jeff Becker said. He's, when I interviewed him, I don't know if you listened to that interview, but that was the biggest hit to him was I felt duped.
2: Yeah, I'm a sucker.
1: and and I think that Jeff, like he was in a pretty popular punk band at the time, and he also helped set up the paradox. So the paradox was a club. It was an, uh, an all ages club that Mars Hill did because the city at the time required all age clubs to have like hundred thousand dollars with an insurance per night if you're going to do all-age music and do a club scene and so a bunch of these all-age clubs just closed up but guess what Mars Hill is a church so they just it wasn't religious music it was fucking thrash bands and punk bands and all these bands came in and they attracted a bunch of people to the church Mm -hmm. I think that's why the church was so like did, yeah. was all those kids started coming to see mark driscoll preach and yeah. he would say swear words you know he's called the custom pastor and the blue like jazz and and uh, yeah derek that's a good i didn't think about that but now it's like because there's a bunch of people that followed fucking mark to arizona you know mm-hmm. i mean those are like the nuts that went to the capitol right those are the those are the nut cases that the hardcore mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah they're hardcore yeah. like people smart people like there's some really some smart people. people rich smart
2: wealthy yeah. people that have made their money making other people suckers and taking advantage of other people yeah still got duped by like just a fantastic con man
1: yeah. just
2: an absolutely genius con man yeah um
1: and now not, Arizona, not a
2: not a true a- genius in many other ways but he like he's the most successful con man of all time.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? Like like it's like if nothing else, that part of Donald Trump is impressive. Like,
1: holy shit. But part of me that's the greatest con ever. Part of me respects mm. Donald Trump for the fact that we kind of needed him. <laughs> Like, didn't we need him? Like, we needed him to break up the fucking bullshit political... The 90s
2: and early 2000s
1: were really defined by
2: just total apathy. Political apathy. Of, like, the people who are going to make the decisions that they make. It doesn't matter who I vote for. Like, red and blue both look pretty fucking purple to me. Like, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And, and Donald Trump totally snapped people out of that. Yeah, and and I think it's been it's been a good thing of, like it's important to care about shit. Yeah, and and it's important to care about your community and the people
1: around you. Yeah, yeah,
2: and uh, and I think a lot of that is coming out of like oh shit like yeah this does matter.
1: Yeah, like some of my old punk friends and metal kids friends that grew up like I hate politics. It's like, do you like driving on roads? <laughs> yeah. you're like drinking water like you're kind of involved in, in policy making which is politics like that's what the fuck it is but um going back so let's roll this back a little deeper Kristen what's the worst thing that happened to you this week mm. if you want to if you want to I know you have a professional like you can't talk about you know oh.
0: no right 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 no, it's... <laughs> like we all well I, I'm trying to I'm just I'm not used to I'm not used to talking about. <laughs> I'm not used to talking about. You want me to go first? Yeah, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah sure. I yeah I, I listen to people do this all the time, but when <laughs> it comes to me doing it, I'm uh, I don't do it very often. I'm not paying you. I'm just I'm not... no. I'm just. It's not exactly that I'm a hypocrite. It's the only time I ever tell people my shit. It's it's been a therapist. So, hey, I'll tear regular people my stuff because it it doesn't do good things to relationships. Well Russ and
2: I are not very regular. Yeah we're not regular. I, I
0: do know this Derek. <laughs> right. We are related. We thrive there's, on- there's a reason why I'm here. There, I don't think there's anybody else who could have gotten me to do something like this. But... I, I eat a lot of oatmeal
2: but I'm still not that
1: regular. Yeah, <sighs> We thrive on the shit that would fuck with most ordinary relationships right. <laughs> So Russ, go ahead, Russ, go ahead. ahead. All right, so uh, I realized that I still struggle with depression earlier in the week. You know, it kind of hit me. And this is some of the talks that I've had with my therapist. And I'm not in therapy now. It's It's been over a year now that I've been in therapy. But just hearkening back to some of the things she said about um not wanting to get out of bed you know like there's some there's some points where just like fuck it like i just rather stay in this warm bed it's been raining for five days um i like my job but there's parts of it that are challenging and it's not even that it's not even really thinking about work as much as it's just it's just literally getting out of you know, and when I was unemployed, cause I was unemployed, you know, I was a Lyft driver, I got in an accident right about the time COVID happened, which actually really worked out, you know, like it was a horrible thing. I thought, I remember calling my wife and go, I just fucked our lives. Right? Like, I didn't think Lyft would ever rent me a car. I don't have a job. Like we're fucked. we were already going through a bankruptcy now how are we going to pay the bills you know and then covid happened and you know uber and lyft lobbied and we got a shit ton of money worth unemployment which was great and and then i got this job which was another good thing in my life but it doesn't and that's something that, another thing that susan my therapist helped me realize that it doesn't it doesn't matter how many good things are happening unless i realize them and spend some time in them if that makes sense right like cognitively realizing um why i get out of bed why the fuck i get out of bed you know and that was that was a pretty huge thing um that and the second thing so two things that actually ended really well because I started going back to a practice I used to do. Speaking of the Bible, right? Like I just went in the basement. I usually used to read my Bible and pray, but I just got on my weight bench and I'd breathe. I did a meditation where I breathe for about five minutes and try and get away from the traffic that's going on in my head. And then I, I would, I pray the Lord's prayer, which might sound funny, but it's like, it's just a, it's just a cool mm-hmm. thing that I have memorized. Yeah. Yeah, I don't
0: think that's funny. No, it's, it's, it's yeah. actually a beautiful prayer. I think it, it is.
1: It is. Yeah. And it's, and I would just pray every verse of it, take a deep mm-hmm. breath and I would stretch because I get on the weight bench and I, you know, I don't want to injure myself, you know, and, it, and just it, taking that time to do that in the morning and that day was really good. It was really fresh and I felt recharged. And I'm like, wow, why don't I do this more often? <laughs> you know, But it took me getting to that point where I realized like, I'm still, I still struggle with depression. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm not on medication. When I was on medication, I didn't feel like me. Um, that's just my thing. I'm not shooting at anybody that goes on antidepressants. I think they're a very good thing. And they were for me at a time in my life. Um, but I don't know if this is the tools that I've learned over the years. I'm 52 years old. I don't know. Um, So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling a lot better about, you know, taking on the day. And then I find out my cousin uh, has COVID Mm -hmm. and his wife has COVID and her mom, I guess it is has COVID. And then, my wife tells me that on Facebook the next day, um, my cousin Dave, and he's the cousin I was telling you about. He was a state senator in Arizona. He's kind of like the overachiever of the family, but he's a really great guy. He's a really fun guy. I did some work for him with search engine stuff like 10 years ago and almost moved to Arizona because he's offering me a job. Um, decided not to just because I got more family here and stuff. But Dave's really good guy, so we get a call the next day that he's uh, he's in the ICU and he's hooked to a ventilator, and uh, you know everybody's thoughts and prayers. And you know they're very much more religious than I am down there in Arizona. Speaking of tribal stuff, um, but but I never felt outcast by them you know like they know i'm not super religious and i like to say a lot of swear words uh but uh so yeah he, i get another text today that he's on uh they flipped him over onto his stomach and he's he went from 100 percent oxygen down to 40 percent so mm-hmm. he's being able to breathe better on his own which is progress which is a good thing and that's a, he's still unconscious like they still have him knocked out but it looks like he might pull out of this thing you know he's 64 years old my cousin he's as old as my uncle i think my uncle's 63 which is funny <laughs> but so yeah that's another thing that happened and dave is on my mind and it's just all the thoughts if like fuck why don't i go visit down there like why don't I just get on a plane and see my My family in Arizona, like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I started having those thoughts. And now I'm kind of like, I'd rather see Dave alive than have to go to his funeral, you know? So that's some of the shit that's been on my mind. um, And the toughest parts of the week. Yeah, And I'm not, you know, I'm not Mr self-help. Like, this is how you should shake yourself out of depression. Like, I don't know how I'll be next week. We'll see, you know, but I got through that 24 hours pretty fucking well. And I'll count yeah, that. And I'm taking, you know, as an old recovery thing, but I still love it. And I still hold fast to it. You know, one fucking day at a time. Mm-hmm. You can enjoy today and get through today. You're, you're doing pretty fucking good in my book. And, uh, so, yeah, I don't know if that helps, but that's,
0: well, it does, it helps. It's been my, it oh, it, it helps because it, it's so relatable. It's, I, I mean, it's the, the constant struggle with depression when you're working so hard to try to carry so many others. Mm. I, I think that I think that's that's just my I mean it, it sounds it sounds cocky to say but I think that's just my everyday struggle and because uh, I have about 35 clients that I see either weekly or bi-weekly so either weekly or every other week and every single one is an open tab in my head
3: mm.
0: and because I can't I can't connect with a person unless I really care. And so it's because I care, it just becomes an open tab in my head. And it's just, most of them, I would say out of the 35 tabs in my head, I probably have, you know, 30 of them under control. I'm doing a pretty good job of being able to juggle all of those and go in between conversations and jump from file to file to file to file and, and do what I need to. But it's, it's the last five. It just, uh, when something goes wrong in one in one file <laughs> and then something goes wrong in another file and you're trying to maintain, because it's, every single one of these files is a life. Hmm. It's, it's a life. It's, it's a suicidality. It's a family. It's potentially a homicidality. It is, it fans out really quickly from 35. It goes from 35 to hundreds, very fast. And, uh, being able to maintain the health of, of 35 individuals while I'm trying to maintain my own health is, is just challenging. That's just a, it's just a big challenge. So
1: I'm curious about how, what, and I know I touched on this when we, we did the interview before, but getting back to why why you do what you do, like mm-hmm. what made you want to do this work in the beginning and what makes you want mm-hmm. to do it today?
0: I, uh, I, I knew I wanted to become a therapist when I was 16. It was, and I, I never wavered. As soon as I knew that's what I wanted to do, that's that's what I decided to do and it was, um, my parents have been trying to get me into therapy, I think, since I was six years old. And so they tried and tried and tried, and I probably had anywhere from 10 to 12 different therapists and they were all awful. (laughs) All of them, none of them saw me, none of them understood me, none of them under, no, no, nobody knew how to ask the right questions. And, and when I was 16, um, It was the first time that I had it wasn't it wasn't so much a false suicide attempt as it was a suicide gesture. But I was planning on killing myself. I just I just decided that I was done and I I just couldn't keep on living. And I it was three in the morning and I went downstairs. Uh, Our entire family slept on the second floor. And so I went down to the first floor and I grabbed my mom's keys out of her purse. And I went to the garage and I just sat against the door. And I sat there for about four hours, just trying to get the courage up to go get in the car and turn it on. And I was only seven feet away. And uh, my mom, my mom came downstairs early in the morning and I wasn't, I wasn't waiting for anybody to come, but she, she opened up the door and she saw me there and she just sat down with me and she didn't say anything. And, and I just looked at her and I said, I think I need to go see a therapist. And she said, okay, okay. Hmm. So she asked an old family friend of hers. Uh, well, it wasn't an old family friend. It was, it was an old friend of hers, somebody that she had been really close to who was a therapist to, to meet with me, and she was the only person who would ever listen to me.
1: Someone was present
0: to actually hear you. Right. Yeah. And and that was enough to get me through the rest of high school. To just be seen like that. Mm. And and she didn't see everything, but I didn't need her to. Mostly, I would just go to her office. And I'd just sit there. That wouldn't really talk about anything I wouldn't really do anything I would just sit there and she'd sit with me and I didn't have to cry and I didn't have to do or be or say anything I could just sit there Um, and that was that was enough
1: you sat in her presence like just being in the presence of
0: Well, I knew how expensive it was because my mom would hand me a check every week. Mm. She'd hand me a check every week so that I could go and see her. And it was was 75 bucks a week, which was really a lot of money. It was so expensive. And I mean, our our, our parents beat into us the value of a dollar, at least they did for me. And... And so to know how expensive it was for me to do it, I I took it very seriously. And that was, it was just a point where I decided that this was something that, if my parents were willing to pay for this, and if this person was willing to sit with me, maybe I can do something with my life. Mm -hmm. And
1: Made you feel valuable, you think?
0: Oh yeah. yeah. Well, at least valued. I don't know if valuable is exactly the word, but at least it's, at some point you need somebody to stop and look at you and say, you're supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. This isn't an accident. Yeah. You know, it's, you, you, you can be here and you should be here. Even if you're in pain, like we still want you, we still need you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even if, even if people don't actually say that so much as they, I mean, they don't say it with their words but they say it with their actions. And, and so that was enough. That was enough just to, to get me through the rest of high school. And, and I knew I wanted to be a therapist. And that was the type of therapist I wanted to be. It was to be somebody who could just be very, very, very authentic, not in a way where I share my pain, like my burdens and what I'm going through with people, but where I can just be myself. Cause when I do that, when I am myself it usually seems as though that it invites other people to go ahead and be themselves that if I can just kind of set the pace and the tone uh, for the level of authenticity that we can expect in the midst of a conversation, then other people will strive to connect with that and meet that. And so uh, it, I think what I've come to find over the years is that, that that's not just who I want to be as a therapist, that's who I want to be as a person. And it, it starts getting weird because transitioning out of the therapeutic setting where I, I don't have total control, but I have a lot of control because it's my office. Uh, it's my paperwork that you're gonna sign. You know, I, I charge a fee in order for people to come and talk to me. And so there are these, there are these boundaries in the, the way in which we operate. But for me to fan out from there and love more holistically, it's just it's, it's really intimidating I think that's exactly what I need to, to do it's just really intimidating because
1: I think what you do what, the beauty of what you do Kristen and just knowing you for the short time that I have is you're, you're not just that but people who are good at at being present you know just you're just your presence like that's just a huge chunk of what you do I think Correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I mean, I've been in recovery groups of people with.
0: No, that's exactly it. Yeah. 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 To be present with somebody. Yeah. And yeah. that's. Yeah. I, I just I have less and less ability to do it as time goes on because it's so much work and I love doing it. It's probably my favorite thing to do is to be really, really present with a person. I love doing it, but it takes exactly. a ton of energy.
1: Maybe that's a spiritual curiosity thing in, in me is that is it work to be present i mean mm-hmm. when i go back when i go back to oh, yeah. childhood and all the fucking therapists that i mean i was a mess as a kid and i skipped school and i didn't you know listen to anybody i did poorly in school and dyslexic and adhd and all that shit and the one therapist that helped me i believe helped me the most he, we went and fed the ducks. I, I told you about mm-hmm. this. We just fucking fed the ducks, and he was just there. He was there, and I don't think it was like I don't. You know, I'm not saying you're overthinking it, but he he. We didn't. I don't remember. It wasn't. I don't remember the conversation at all. He was just fucking. Here's some bread, kid. <laughs> Let's go feed.
0: <laughs> well, ducks. I do have to say. Well, part of what I what I do to myself, and I do do this to my own damn self, is I I really really enjoy engaging with uh, really challenging people. Yeah, yeah. So people who push back. So because I do have my handful of of individuals that I work with that are kind of like that, where they just need somebody to sit with them, and and I I do that, and it's just really simple, and it's really easy, and and I don't really have to say or do anything, and that's it's just like a, it's it's kind of like flowing down a stream. It just feels like this very even keeled stream, but I like the rapids. That's where I like to spend my time. I like the really complex individuals and I need to be careful when I say this, but I I like people who have more characteristics that are, are dangerous. It's, they're really, really interesting. A lot of people, especially people who have homicidal tendencies, there's an intellect and a creativity there that is never, ever explored. And it's never discussed because people are so scared. Mm-hmm. And and that's, that makes everything worse <laughs> because when people don't talk about it, it just becomes this big, huge pocket inside of them filled with pus and it, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually it explodes. And that's usually, at least in my experience, it's when they hurt other people. Not because it's directly what they exactly want to do, it's just a byproduct of not being able to connect with other people in the midst of having suicidal or I mean homicidal ideation. Yeah. So I work with some individuals that are complicated. Yeah. <laughs> you know that it's that feeding the ducks isn't gonna be right uh, the name of the game. instead, it's more like a game of chess. So we are going to spend an hour, Talking about why hurting people is in fact morally incorrect. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the hour, if I haven't won, then you never come back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's that's what I do. That's uh, right. so I play. Have you have you seen the Queen's Gambit?
1: My wife is watching it right now as we speak. But no, <laughs> I haven't.
2: <laughs>
0: have you watched it, Derek?
2: No, I haven't yet. Yeah, we've been meeting. No. Okay
1: we haven't been able
2: to manage anything more serious than gilmore girls so
0: oh okay no then don't okay that's
1: yeah.
0: okay no. never mind that is they couldn't be far I, away I, I from gilmore
1: girls the one, the fiction, okay well work.
0: i was just gonna say that that i had to watch that series in doses i could handle about two episodes a week because okay. each one it hit so personally, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Like every single one I related to on a, like in a, like the deepest parts of my soul. Like, well,
1: give me an and, example.
0: Well, I mean, I mean, the premise of the entire show is that it's about, so it's about this young orphan uh, who is so extremely traumatized by how she gets to an orphanage and she has no friends, no ability to really be able to connect with people, no social skills. Um, and how she takes all of her trauma and her pain and she channels it into learning how to play chess. She takes all that suffering and she uses it like rocket fuel. And then she just, she just goes into this incredible territory of, of the chess world and, and exploring what it means to dominate and what it means to her on a personal level. And every single episode I related to, and it, but it was, it was so, it was helpful. It was cause as dark as it is, cause it gets really, really dark there. Every single episode has some kind of a positive outcome, some kind of a positive uplifting, hopeful message to it. Right. And I think that's what, yeah, that's what I really, really relate to is that I've always enjoyed darkness. It's in me. I like it. That's where, I'm happiest when I can be in the deepest parts of myself. Uh, I mean, it feels like going to the bottom of the ocean sometimes because there's just so much pressure there and there's so much anxiety and depression and it's just heavy. It just, you just feel the weight and the burden of all of human suffering and pain. (laughs) It sounds sounds so dramatic and histrionic and it kind of is in a way, but it's the truth. I feel it, yeah. That I feel it, I I feel like an actual physical pressure on, on my chest. And in my lungs. And so, yeah, I mean, just that's where I like to spend time with my clients is in the deepest parts of their, their souls, like who they are as people, like what, what is your deepest pain? What is the worst thing that you have ever experienced? And what was that like? And can I go there with you? Will you take me there so that I can be somebody to just sit Shiva with you? I'm just going to sit and I'm going to see it and I'm going to hear it and I'm going to watch you scream and I'm going to watch you cry and suffer through every moment and I'm just going to be right here. And isn't that That what changes people's lives.
1: Yeah, it does. And that's that's some of the what you're doing. Like you are Yeah,
0: that is what I do. Yeah. That, I grieve with people.
1: You're being there for that girl standing there in the garage with the keys, right? That's the beauty of what you do. Like you're doing it, Kristen. That's awesome. I come honored that you're you're who you are and you're doing what you do. Bless you. Don't be too hard on yourself. (laughs) If I could say that. Yeah. We could say that to me too, you know. Fuck.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Russ.
1: what yeah. are you? What are you? What are you feeling, man?
2: I've been in a weird place lately. Like I you brought up the depression. I've definitely been in a depressed spot lately, uh, and part of my depression is just emotional detachment. So it's hard in some of these moments to feel that I'm not doing this as well as I normally do. Mm.
1: Um, like this.
2: Yeah. This.
1: Wife. Um, or what? <laughs> no, like
2: this, right? This moment right here.
3: Okay.
2: Um, I'm bouncing off some stuff that I normally would have some pride in my ability to engage with. I think it's also harder that Kristen and I have so much history.
0: Oh, it's definitely hard.
2: But uh, so, yeah. So I'm just in a place of, Of just being, oftentimes with Chuck, I'm actively making room, and oftentimes with other people that are struggling, I'm actively making room, and I'm in a spot, mostly right now, where I just need to passively make room. Um, and it—that's
0: what you've always done with me, though. No, I don't mind. I really don't. I—I I, I know that's exactly what I need to expect, especially when it comes to my relationship with you, because you and I—I I mean. I've talked about some things with you here and there. And and I know that there's always been some kind of a block there and that doesn't bother me because it's, I, I, I know how to be able to take all of this, you know, everything that I'm talking about and feeling, and I can ride the wave of it. And I go through the rapids and then I anchor it back inside of me and then it comes full circle. And if I can actually say these things out loud, I tend to process it a hell of a lot faster. And that's what's so helpful. That, but I don't need somebody else, at least at this point in my life, to have to be the lightning rod for whatever it is that I'm thinking or feeling or experiencing. And I don't need somebody else to fully affirm that. Like what you did, Russ, was actually really powerful. That was really, really helpful. And I rarely get that any level of attention, much less that. Like what you just gave me was, I mean, unlike anything that, that I've had before in my life. And that is it's it's really nice, but I mean the fact that Derek is so much more detached is is fine. Like it really is okay, because because I had asked you before, Derek, years and years ago, why why you couldn't protect me, or why you at very least you couldn't help me. Um, and I mean you told me the honest answer, which was you were just trying to survive yourself, and that was the truth. And I think sometimes I think it still is the truth. I think you're still trying to survive, and so am I, and that's fine.
1: sure yeah, About. Oh, go ahead. Yeah.
2: It's just, it's. Uh, yeah, this will be good for me. I'm excited for the challenge of doing this with you, Kristen. But um, the, th- the thing I'm coming up against is um, just the reminder of how close I was a couple times to going off the edge. Yeah, I think. Like-
0: Killing like, me or killing no, the people in the family,
2: just losing myself, I think. Oh, um, you know, like we you, you, you bringing right? up like <laughs> you bringing up, I was just trying to survive, put me in a headspace of remembering trying to survive, yeah. And so then all of a sudden, I get all these flashes of all these moments where it felt like I
0: almost yeah. didn't, you weren't gonna make it, yeah, mm. yeah, it's pretty dark.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry like just what you grew up in like that just sounds you know it was are-
2: so there's a reddit i follow called a boring dystopia <laughs> uh and in many ways i relate to that in terms of my childhood Yeah, because there's a lot of it that was so fucking inert I've uh, seen it. it's
0: called a boring dystopia
2: yeah it's uh if you if you just want to
0: <laughs>
2: if you want a nice calm exploration of why america's going to hell sounds good to me yeah <laughs> it it i can get on board with that <laughs> I was gonna, i'm going to subscribe right now which is really a great you know just the last year has been perfect like, yeah, I just a boring dystopia like, it. like mm-hmm. the world is going to hell in a handbasket and i'm smoking weed and watching netflix and <laughs> <of> <laughs>
1: I don't know what you're describing there. <laughs> Pink had a song called family uh, portrait. Are you guys familiar?
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it kind of sounds like some of that, like a lot, of a lot of Christians like have that sort of, you know, you show up for the family portrait. We Sunday so
0: just- my take on my take on our family. So like Derek was talking about Mars Hill and how that was a cult because I I wanna say this as gently and lightly as I can about our family because I actually really, really love our family a lot. I really do. I always have and I always will. And uh, it's our family is filled with really good people with really good hearts and they have no idea how to communicate, none yeah. at all. And And our parents, when they moved from Minnesota to Idaho, they went there specifically to join a commune. I mean, they were these, they were these hippies that didn't do drugs that were high on Jesus. And we we're gonna go out to North Idaho and we we're just gonna like raise our children in no man's land. And half of that was wonderful. There is something about growing up in an unbridled society that is so much fun. Like it's, there's so much room for imagination and, and excitement and exploration and mistakes. And you just go out into the woods and you get really hurt. (laughs) (laughs) At least that's how I learned things. And, and I, that was my favorite part about my childhood. And I think that's, that's one of the favorite things about my adulthood is that I still have that sense of exploration. I love, it's not, not exactly that I love getting hurt, but I love seeing how far my reach can go before I get snapped
2: in half <laughs> that's one of the things that scares me Not scares me but i agonize the most over about raising my kids
3: mm-hmm.
2: is that that environment hurt me so badly <laughs> also has absolutely made my life successful
0: yep me too
2: like like i have an internal permission to say well fuck it let's try it mm. That nobody else had that you do not get unless you grew up in rural I- North Idaho. Yeah. Like, like rural North Idaho is like, is like a, yeah, it's a little bubble where that happens. Yeah, concentration that it just it, weird, weird, weird. Yeah, it just doesn't happen in other places. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> and, and I'm talk. often, I'm often flabbergasted by because I have a, I have a casual anarchist streak. Like, it's not angry. It's just like,
3: why? <laughs> I
0: like, I have why it too. You follow that rule. I do. I have it too. <laughs> like, that's why like, I had a shitty week, is because that got me in trouble this week because right. of exactly that. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. I'm a cowgirl. Shit, like, oh, yeah, damn right.
3: it.
2: <laughs> and that's, and it's, uh, and, and it gets uh, me in trouble sometimes, but it also is massively rewarding at times, yeah. which is incredibly difficult to, uh, like, that's never gonna go away because it's so rewarding. Like, there's so many things in my life that I can point to that were like, well, why'd you just decide to do this? I was like, like, because it looked cool. <laughs> that is
0: whenever mom asked me stuff whenever mom like whenever I was a teenager and I did something really stupid like when I cracked her her decoration tree in half in the basement and Uh I duct taped it and there was like a foot of duct tape that was it was it looked like a a basketball and then I stuck it behind her guest room bed and it was there for two years before she noticed it and when she pulled it out she was like why did you do this and I was like I don't know it made sense at the time
3: (laughs) do I know I did that?"
0: (laughs) Now <laughs> you <I> didn't notice. <laughs> the point was to not get in trouble, which I didn't until now. Yeah. And her wrath two years later was still vicious. But I was like, I'm older and wiser. I would not do that now, Mother. But I would do other dumber shit. Like, really. Yeah, things, like,
2: <laughs> like when I brainwashed Josh into thinking that he spilled cooking oh. oil all over the wall. Um, <laughs> I told you that story, right, Chris?
1: He did what? You did what? Uh, so
2: I took. I was probably this is awful that was probably was it no, like a
1: religious thing like jesus wants no, to...
2: no. no my mom had this orange cleaning oil that was used on the furniture yeah uh, on the wood furniture and we had she had just put brand new uh wallpaper up in the hallway and like and I, and she had me cleaning all fucking day and i fucking hated that Like orange oil, like it just got everywhere. Like, I was just like, my eyes be like caked with it. What was
0: it called? What was it called? I called
2: orange oil, it was like oranges. And 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 so, and like, (laughs) I was like, brand new wallpaper, and I just walked along the wall and just sprayed (laughs) a huge line of orange oil down the whole hallway.
0: (laughs) You were such a fucking sociopath Because mom is, saved for, mom is saved forever For that wallpaper She's this Quaker mother She's got three children And she finally gets her brand new wallpaper Like the prairie woman that she is And she did it with her coupons too from Sears And then she puts it all up there And then her sociopath son Grabs the fucking orange oil And just goes whoop
2: And I was like I had a moment Where I was like oh that's not coming out <laughs> right. like like, oh like yeah that's like like i just didn't like a lot of it was just not do like like it was one of those moments where you just did it casually
3: yeah and then it was Ugh. like oh,
2: like no that's that's mm. that's like
0: permanent I'm,
2: I'm in i'm in big Right. so i took my brother who was three who is the sweetest, who
0: is the okay. sweetest. he is the sweetest uh, he reminds what, me of Winnie the Pooh like, yeah, just so made this, this little guy. Which
2: made this so easy no! <laughs> I took him into the bathroom And I told him over and over and over again <laughs> That he did it And to go tell my mom that he did it And he did And she kicked his ass Yes, She, <laughs> she spanked <laughs> him so fucking hard Like it was one of those things Where I was like Like I was feeling guilty about it Like maybe I should confess And then I heard him screaming I was like oh, I ain't confessing this at all like no, nope. <laughs> <That's the laughs> like like if I confess now, it's gonna get way worse than that. Oh, like imagine she did this to a three-year-old. Like, <laughs> fuck me. Because oh. how old were
0: you at the time? If he was three, then yeah. what? You were like nine. Nine. Yeah. Nine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you knew way better than you to do that.
2: Yeah, I knew what the consequences were going to
0: be. <laughs> right. So. You're such a sick perverted person. <laughs> so <laughs> poor Joshy
2: yep and then i waited to tell my mom that story until i was 16
0: it still makes dad sick uh-huh. it does yeah. it makes he can't talk about it without looking nauseous like it's so you like see those those are where those uh, sociopathic tendencies came out just, just a little bit in another life derek would have been the unibomber.
2: <laughs> if i had been abused more
1: Speaking of sociopathy, yes. here's something. So, so having you in the, in, in, here, Kristen is like, you know, like as a mechanic, people ask me car questions. So here, here's, here's one that I went through oh boy. as a young, as a young guy, um, not having processed the trauma that I'd been through. Like there was a part of me that didn't feel a lot of guilt for shit. You know, like I used to deal drugs and, and, not just that, but, you know, try and sell meth as a probably high school age kid to like middle school students. When I lived in Alaska with my dad, I used to go into the locker room and I'm like, oh, wow, everybody just leaves their lockers open. So I, you know, as soon as the place is empty and you could kind of look down the hall to see where they were going to the gym and shit, I just fucking stole couple hundred bucks every time i was sitting there i laugh now but it was pretty shitty i mean these are military people i don't have a lot of money but i just i'd rob them blind you know any chance i could get and there was very little feeling of guilt in me until i got older and started you know making money <laughs> no i think starting to see when i stopped here's here's one of the weird things and having that weird christian kind of thing in there like there was that little bit of christian guilt even though even though i thought you know my thing with hell and here's why i think hell is a shitty thing to to, as a motivation like you're gonna go to hell if you do that i think if you once you get to the point where you just believe that hell is just my destination like i can't possibly be good enough for this magical God that you keep talking about and I keep saying the magic yeah. and I keep doing bad things you know so I guess I'm just going to hell <laughs> so I might as well just embrace that you know but I uh I I did a drug deal from for this woman from Marysville so she was this older woman and she had um friends that would buy coke from her and I was like the go-between so I would go to this house in Everett and then I would come home. Well, normally that this would take like an hour, maybe. Um, but this night, the guy who I was supposed to buy the dope from was late. And uh, it took until like two, three in the morning for him to get there. And so what, what, is, what, what was a normal deal around 10 o'clock, you know, weekly became, you know, it, it, two, three in the morning. And uh, I arrive at the house. So I call. I'm in touch with her. I think her name was Karen too, ironically. She didn't look like a like a drug dealer. <laughs> like she just looked like a normal she looked like fucking Karen at uh, <laughs> She wants to talk to the man. Yeah. Like seriously, in her 50s, like that's kind of how she looked. Um, and I've got, you know, I don't know, thirty five hundred dollars worth of her cash. And I'm waiting for this guy to show up. And it, it is some of this, some of this shit from my past, like it it sounds like a shitty, stupid movie. Like sometimes, you know. Truth is stranger than fiction, right? Like this guy shows up in a fucking white suit, pours a bag of cocaine on this table, and starts, you know, and then that that took another hour. But anyway, so the guilt part, the the weird thing that happened in me was when I pull I pull up, and she had this big circular driveway. So you pull up, there's it's a gated house, big circular driveway, and there's cars all around the circle, and about four cars in. I saw two, three, four year olds climbing over the seats. You know? So they were with their mom and dad waiting for their Coke deal, you know? And so like that stuck with me for some reason. And I'm in there and she's like weighing everything out and cutting it up and putting in baggies. And I just, you know, I got my share and I left. Um, but I remember praying like, God, if I'm doing something that's harming people like i want you to stop me right and then i got an accident like a week or two later and i told it chalked it up to like that's god right <laughs> like making me not be this person um, but i lost the you know i lost that connection i was i starred the windshield with my head and and uh and here's another weird stranger than fiction thing the guy that offered helped me with this get this job and then the guy the middleman they met each other so the dealer and the middleman that i was the kind of go between two they met each other because they were concerned about me in the hospital right (laughs) so they closed the loop on why they would need a middleman and then the guy that offered me the job he's like well i had to kind of come to jesus moment anyway i don't really want to do that shit anymore like i thought i was gonna get shot or fucking killed or something and it just didn't you know it was just anticlimactic um but you know that was the weird catalyst of me starting to think about my actions i don't i'm not sure why um just seeing those little kids jumping over the seat in the car at two three in the morning you know did that break me out of my sociopathy? Like, I don't, I don't know. Was I a sociopath before that? Because I really started to feel, and then the more work I did, not just trying to get sober, but trying to understand why I'm kind of the way I am, you know, um, the more sensitive I got, the more I'd started crying cry you, and shit like that.
0: You were probably just more egocentric. You were probably just more of a narcissist before, not so much necessarily a sociopath. Okay. Just that you were just so in your own narrative that you couldn't see anything outside of that. Yeah. And and that's that's really what it means to be a narcissist, is just to be like that that you are in this tunnel and it's all your perspective. And it's, I mean, this tunnel is just lined with mirrors. And so it all bounces back to you in some way. Mm-hmm. And that's not how full reality is. That that's one reality, that's one stream of it. But right. there are literally Billions upon trillions of different perspectives that you can integrate alongside that one. And it sounds as though that some way, somehow you were able to start cracking open that perspective to start adding or grafting in a couple more so that it wasn't just that one holistic narcissistic vision, Right. because you started seeing other people as people. Mm. And that seems to be the, the thing that really broke you through to the next level especially consciously because you started to because you you noticed the children and it was the children that somehow all of a sudden routed back to you in a way that you could identify that to recognize that you know these these aren't just these aren't just customers or just people that you can suck dry mm-hmm. these are these are real individuals just like you yeah and and I think it was mostly, it sounds as though that you were just asking yourself the question, how long can you be with the perpetrator? How long can you play that role and be that individual and live with yourself? Yeah. And you were willing to, to let that be sooner rather than later, uh, to, to let that break in and for you to own the reality of your perpetration, but then beyond that, also own the reality of your victimization and to be able to hold both of those in conjunction at the same time. yeah. Because I think that's the only way that anybody can heal is that if you can recognize how you were hurt first and then how you compensated for that with an edge of power and then how you were able to integrate both together to be one whole person. Right. But but most people don't wanna recognize that they're a perpetrator, much less a victim, so. I (laughs) I really hate the
1: victim thing too.
2: It's funny the way you tell the story Because you were, it's just such a weird human thing of like, I want to change. I don't think that I can change the the me that I define myself can't change. I'm going to look for a sign outside of me to tell me that I can change. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And, but the minute anything shows up, I'm latched onto it. And then I do change. It's fascinating how humans can trick themselves into being better people <laughs> yeah. like, that's really interesting
0: i think that's how it works though i think that's yeah. the only way that it works i think you have to dangle the bait in front of you and then you have to pursue the bait and then you become the bait
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: and then you just
1: well, go round
0: and around and round and it's really 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 weird
1: value it works for the conversation too because i i the way I valued myself and I don't know if that's a masculine thing or what, but was also how much money I was making, you know, mm. like I was making more doing that for a couple hours mm. on like a Saturday than my fucking job during the week. So I'd make like something like close to $400, you know, Monday through Friday, my Monday through Friday grind. And then I would do that and make four to five to six to seven, when it kind of increased, you know, just until I just finally was so fucking wired out of my head and, partied out of my mind that they fired me you know, showing up an hour late, like, you know, not having slept for two days. Um, so that was part of it, too. You know, the the money and, you know, sex. That was part of it. Like, hey, I'm the guy with cocaine. Um, it, but you're right. I think the narcissism thing is so true. It's all a projection mm-hmm, right. um, of trying to escape from what was really going on in here. Yeah and the no longer i could keep that up but then the the kind of christian thing also hindered some of that cuz the victimization like i'm not a fucking victim but right. Right? right like i'm a man like i can repent of my sins or what yeah
0: who wants to be a victim nobody nobody exactly. wants to do that but wow. it's just
2: it's
1: everybody wants to be a
2: victim
0: yes. everybody, everybody wants to benefit but no. of
2: being a victim yes. the identity of
0: being a victim exactly yeah. like you have to have the identity as a point in time in the map of your own mind you have to know that there's just a place where you can go where you are absolutely and completely powerless and there's no- nothing that you can do to control it yeah. and that you just have to you have to give into that because that is that is the place of rebirth if you don't go there then there's no way that you can continue to level up consciously you're just going to keep on looping round and round and round yeah. and then you just burn rubble rubber and it's exhausting and people don't <laughs> and that's that's where mental illness shows up mm-hmm. at least I mean, in my experience it's people burning rubber having a hard time consciously growing and so then i just try to figure out okay how can we get you from point a to point b and then they just they bring their own momentum and then they level up and then as they continue to do that over and over and over again their their depression alleviates itself with anxiety
1: presence too like the fact that they're in your presence and and you've been through some of that like Mm -hmm. when i met dan Hazen and rick meeting dan was was really good because he helped He helped me see just kind of sharing his own shit and then i remember um the song johnny cash had that song hurt and there's that song that says that's a good song i remember everything and that fucking broke me because while i didn't and i still some of it's
0: that's a nine inch nail song
1: yeah, I know, right? It is.
0: No, it's an, yeah. it, well, that's why it's so powerful. Because, yeah. I mean, for, him, for Johnny Cash, of all people, to cover yeah. it. and he that. hates that
2: Johnny Cash did that.
0: <laughs> Wait, who? The song. Trent Reznor hates that
2: that Johnny Cash did that. Why? Because he stole the song from
1: him. He, he, he did. did.
0: He made it better. He took yes.
1: it. And, yeah,
0: he, he did. Oh, and his ego better. couldn't handle it. Oh, oh poor man. baby.
1: Was, and then, yeah, and he was a heroin <laughs> addict at the time. Rez- well...
0: Yeah, and he's all talking about his suffering, and then he just decides to see that right there. That's somebody who wants to be a victim. <laughs> yeah, there you go. a little bit. A little
3: the bit. About,
0: that...
2: Yeah. Narcissism. Narcissism is it's super dissociative. Um, because mm. it's a safe place for you to just hide. Yep. Um, it just doesn't take very much. Uh, very much internal ram. Like things don't spin right. as fast. And it, it makes things very simple, uh, narcissism. So it's a very safe, feels like a very safe place to hide. Um,
0: it's like a uh, cave. Yeah. A cave of
2: mirrors. And and yeah, and which is why things like mushrooms are so helpful.
0: Because it breaks that down. It does, it, it starts it breaking down the
2: mirrors, yep. It, uh, it's like fucking clockwork orange, right? Like, all right, we're going to pry your eyeballs mm-hmm. open. <laughs> And, literally and you're gonna watch yeah. and you're yeah. gonna watch this right and look you're not fucking alone these are human beings
1: yeah and you can't oh. back out of it i remember that like i do remember that like you once you're high like you're not you can't turn that shit off like oh no, no yeah
2: that's rub, that's rub, the, the rub. most amazing thing about mushrooms is like it's like yeah it just rubs your nose in it of like yeah. you, you will never unsee this
1: yeah Ever. Yeah, I'm still skeptical, but like, I know I've read the research and shit like that, you know, and part of me is like, I don't know, like, I, I, I want to kind of try it again now that I'm older. And, you know, John's talked about that. We've all talked about that, but, but I'm still skeptical to the point that you are on a ride. Like, you're not.
0: Oh, yeah, it's a roller coaster ride. You're you're not, it's
1: ride like, it's being done to you. So it's a spiritual kind of a thing that's happening. But you
0: know what, Russ? All of reality is happening to you at the exact same time yes yeah, all true. the only difference is is you're aware of it
3: yeah. that's
0: the only thing about it that I can tell is that's that's the part that's probably the hardest for you is to relinquish that control and for right. you to say all right this is I'm going to sit in my own conscious awareness that I don't have control even though the majority of the time I mean not the majority all the time of your life you've never been in control not a single moment ever right. It's just the awareness of it. And that's hard because- It reminds it's...
1: me of uh, Albert Einstein had a great quote that I kind of latched onto, where just, he just simply said something like, time is, is there so everything just doesn't happen at once. <laughs> Which I love. And-, and I cont- do too. That, that control thing. But I think maybe, I don't know. But I think
0: everything does happen at once. I think that's what's so, what's so complex about it is that time is both linear and stagnant. Like it's, it's circular circular and it's stagnant and it's moving and it's everything all at one time and and we can't fully conceptualize that the only way to really be even begin to conceptualize it is trying to be able to to expand your consciousness but that's not an easy thing to do because when people expand their consciousness you you run the risk of breaking into something like schizophrenia like it's not, that is, that, I mean, that's why drugs are so dangerous because if you do not have an anchor point, if you do not have a place within your own reality, like uh, the movie Inception, the token, if you've ever seen that, like uh, the, uh, yeah, the
1: top, he spends a top yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that yeah, the main character, he has, I I'm not trying, I'm stuck on the actor's name and the reason like it's bugging me because I'm like, and Kate Winslet spins the top and I'm like, nope, it's not Kate Winslet, it's Leonardo DiCaprio, that's who it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I needed, I needed to do that for my own head. No, that it's, he uses the token to be able to anchor him into some point of reality. And if you don't do that before you do something like LSD or mushrooms or even sometimes marijuana, like if you use cannabis, you can full fledged break into sch- schizophrenia, which is having multiple complex realities that you are holding simultaneously with no roots, none. You're just like a cloud. You're like a thunder cloud and you are all over the place and you are everywhere and you are nowhere and nothing is ever the same. And, then and you so,
2: end up writing at the Capitol.
0: Ah why Derek?
2: <laughs> Am I wrong? I, what was that? I missed that. I said then you end up rioting at the Capitol.
0: I'm not saying anything. <laughs>
2: that's what happens when you don't have a top.
0: I'm not saying anything. <laughs> that's, that's true.
1: Uh, yeah, it's, it's a conscious. Staying
0: as neutral as I can, yes. <laughs> so uh, So but anyway, though no, it's, it's gonna land uh, the plane. Not me, Russ. That's Russ's job.
3: Russ. Yeah, my job.
1: Russ. Uh, Derek Lance playing pretty good sometimes. Does
0: he?
2: Do. you? Uh, can I do it tonight? I have to figure out. <laughs> if I, I have to figure out if I'm going to go profound, or abrupt, or stupid.
0: Or oh, I kind of. I kind of want to know stupid. Stupid.
1: Yep. I think you're touching on Mars Hill with such a brilliant thing because I didn't think of it that way. Speaking of tribal powder keg you know, when that thing broke apart, yeah, it's so similar, you know.
2: It felt like like Christianity was splitting in that moment. Not that it had split, but it was like, oh, that's the first blow.
1: Yeah.
2: And I feel like Donald Trump may be another, like, escalated next step. Like, you know, Mark Driscoll was, what, at the most, maybe three or 400,000 people. That he affected,
0: yeah, and this see.
2: is this is much bigger. The entire world, basically.
0: Yeah. yeah. And but then,
2: it's a very similar, very similar si- situation of of like this man demanded loyalty, and I gave him everything that I had, and he had didn't have a plan, and he didn't care, yeah. and he didn't think I was a person, and he was just in it to make some money.
1: Yeah. And, Not only that, when he, when he was encouraging the the you know insurgents, his fucking buddy, the vice president, and his wife were in the fucking building. Yeah, breaking the windows with guns and fucking bombs. And he loved every second of it. Oh, yeah, and he's just like, oh. felt like
2: felt like redemption to him. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah, man. Well,
2: on that happy thought, we should probably end it. <laughs>
1: so, see, that's <laughs> that's, the, that's the
2: other option is just go super fucking dark. So. Well, there we go. Plane. I, I gotta say
1: this though. Plane right?
2: landed. No resolution. Everything is shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fuck all of you. The consciousness. Oh. The consciousness of that realization is the light at the end of the shitty fucking tunnel.
0: In my sure. Mind. So is that is that daylight or is that the train coming for you? That's the question.
1: I don't know. Earlier, you're like the suppository that's being. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yep.
2: Sure. There's a light.
3: I think the train's gonna hit
2: you
0: so hard you see daylight. Ooh! <laughs> see that lands the plane right there. Cut it, Russ. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. Right, we do good work. It just runs of the family.
1: Hey, help a punk rock robot out! Scratch my itch by hitting that subscribe button.
0: Like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound? Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio or wherever you hear this fucking podcast.
1: Because millions of people in Western culture are undoubtedly divided and dis-
2: disconnected. Because most people keep yelling at each other. Because talking about the elephant in the room has become more like looking for a lost penny under the couch cushion that most don't care to find. We would love for you to join us as a co-producer. You can support this content at, Patreon. that's Patreon with an E patreon.com slash punktheology
1: Yes, it. Yes, it. Yes, yes, yes.
3: Or I'll click the patron link at punktheology.net